I ain't even gonna say. Yeah, you know what that is? I'll tell you what that is. That's an alien, bruv. Believe it. Must have come from outer space trying to take over the Earth, innit? <laughs> when I landed in the wrong place, though, you get me? The wrong place. Okay, Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen. It's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 143, and my guest this week is J.F. Dubow, the writer of Wrongs, and we are talking about Attack the Block from 2011. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Oh, I thought we were talking about the pilot from Bojack Horseman. Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, oh no. So, Attack no, the Block... No, I watched, I, I watched the right movie. It's good. Okay. Uh, had you... you you had or had not seen this one before? I hadn't seen it until. Okay. Um, let's just say let's let's hope there was no uh, post credit scenes that I needed to watch. <laughs> there, there I wasn't. Finished watching it very, very recently. It's fresh in mind. Well, that's good. Uh, there was no post credits, so you're good there. Uh, this was actually also my first time seeing the movie. Um, I had not seen it, and it was one that. I knew nothing about when it came out in 2011. Um, I hadn't really heard about it. It was actually after I read about John Boyega getting cast in Star Wars. And one of the articles I was reading mentioned that he had done a movie called Attack the Block. And so I looked and like I looked up in IMDb and I just saw a poster for it. And I thought, well, that looks interesting. And then kind of forgot about it for another few years. Um, what was your, I... did, did you have any kind of history with it? prior to this i i saw the trailers when it was about to come out okay and I went looks dope as hell i loved the concept mm -hmm. and but being it was such a like a small budget thing not an american thing my hopes of being able to catch it um in theaters here in canada were slim to none so i kind of put it like i i filed it in eh one day <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I had no idea that John Boyega was in, in it. Um, that's something I only caught on way long, way later, like long after I saw the, the like the episode seven of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. um, this, I was reading an article about Star Wars saying John, John Boyega, star of Attack the Block, went, huh? All right. <laughs> I did not. That could be. <laughs> yeah, I did not realize that Jodie Whittaker was in this until probably last week. Um, I only realized it as you mentioned it. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't check the. I didn't check the cast or credit because, um, and, and this is an absolutely stupid assumption of mine. Like this is something that is an artifact of growing up with having U.S. actors and British actors be so separate mm -hmm. that I don't think if I'm watching a a, a, a British movie, an English movie. I don't think that there's going to be any crossover, which has stopped being true a long time ago, but I'm still in that mindset. Sure. Well, it's interesting because like Boyega, I knew was English. And um, even though I'd seen him in Star Star Wars and he doesn't, he, you know, he hides the accent there. I didn't mm -hmm. know Jodie Whittaker was in this at all. Um, and, you know, her being the current Doctor Who um, obviously is somewhat more well known than in 2011. Um but the other one for me was the character of Dennis who first gets the, the katana 
Yeah, the katana. Um, Franz Drama. I know him from the Arrowverse shows, the CW stuff, like Legends of Tomorrow. He he came on during Legends of Tomorrow um, and played a really fun character in that. I had no clue that he was English at all. He plays like a all-American high school football player who becomes part of a, a two-person um, superhero called Firestorm. And I, I didn't have a damn clue. And then I see him, I see he's in this, I'm like, Huh? And I look up, and sure enough, you know, born in born in England, and uh, he, he like the the way he hides his accent just blew me away. So that was kind of a fun there's, one for me. There's something about British people having either either they work harder at it or they're just better at uh, assuming an American accent than uh, I think us North Americans are at doing the opposite. I mean, we could go oh laddie, that cheerios, but we're not really good at actually doing the accent. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's funny because I stopped watching Doctor Who just before Capaldi. Mm-hmm. Uh, most mostly because again, Doctor Who is always a year late here in Canada, unless right. you jump through just all sorts of magical hoops. I don't have time for. So I never really saw uh, Jodie Whittaker play Doctor Who. So I mean, the moment you mentioned it, I went, oh, "That's her, of course." <laughs> um, but. Until you made you you bridged that link, I didn't see it, and I haven't watched a CW type superhero movie since uh, since Smallville, and that turned into a sex cult. So, <laughs> well, they definitely like the CW shows are people either love them or they hate them. They're because they they have they exist in a very interesting world. I enjoy them, but I also know that they can be really bad sometimes. Like there are episodes of The Flash that you watch, and it's like this is just teenage soap opera shit, and I don't get it. But then they'll do something fun, and I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. You you've got my attention for the next little bit. Legends of Tomorrow being the exception to that, where that show is just like they're just going to have fun with that because they're time traveling and they're not really tied in anything. They're self-aware. They actually make jokes. They made a joke about, uh, cause yearly the CW shows will do a crossover event where mm-hmm. all the shows will, will do like a four or five parter. And one year they didn't want to have the, uh, they didn't write in the characters from that. So they actually made a joke about it several times in the episode. Like, Oh, it must be the yearly crossover. You know what? Let's just pass on that type of thing. So I, I like, I I like that. That's one of the things that I enjoyed about Smallville before it became Nexium um, <laughs> was that it was very low-key, very tongue-in-cheek. It mm-hmm. knew what it was about and didn't hide from it. Like, this is young Superman, and we're going to do a ton of really silly shit to not say the word Superman mm-hmm. all the time. And it very tongue-in-cheek. Like, we're going to bring in supervillains that he should not meet for another decade and yet have him right now and be okay with that so i'm i'm super cool with the the idea of uh, watching a movie that is objectively according to every normal metric bad but still enjoyable Mm -hmm. i mean i watched first time turbo kid yesterday and it is i mean it's terrible but it's (laughs) enjoyable terrible and it embraces the camp so much that you can't help but go, oh, okay, I see what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, I was talking to someone about how badly it fails the Bechtel test, though, but whatever. <laughs> I'm I'm very similar. Like I don't I don't care if a movie is objectively 
quote unquote objectively bad. Like I, I don't care if I'm enjoying the movie, that's fine. There's some of those that I just don't enjoy. There's some really, I watched like uh, a movie like Monster with Charlie Theron. The movie's phenomenal, it's, but I can't watch it again. It's on, like, my, it's it's on my list of things. It's on my list of things to see. That movie looks so dope. It's really, really good, but it is not easy to watch. And like I've seen it, and I can appreciate mm-hmm. that. And I may never watch it again and be fine. But then I can turn around and watch something that's just trashy entertainment, and I can watch it ten times. But you know, I can get something out of that. So that's yeah, where I, I feel that way. I feel that way about District Nine. I saw District Nine once in theaters. I thought it was a technical and a writing marvel. It is mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. well done. I refuse to watch that movie again because it is disturbing. It plucks at every strings of mine that I do not like. That yes. Now now District Nine is one that I can watch again. Um, but it it affects me, but not in the same way. But I I understand completely what you're saying there, and that that movie deserves more credit than it gets i think just in a, like a mass appeal because it's really good it's really good it is it's it's it's, it's absolutely good like it's it, there, there's no moment in that movie that i went this is not doing exactly what this movie is supposed to do mm-hmm. but because like it, it does this really wonderful thing where it takes a terrible person still manages manages to make you crawl into a skin and then turn that skin into an alien in a terrifying body horror kind of way and then make they make sure to pound to your head that he is living with that nightmare until maybe it gets solved and probably won't while he's right. still in love with his wife. It's like everything about it is just terrible yeah. but a very well presented terrible. Absolutely. Um so I can use that and segue to this movie that we watched which is Attack the Block because what Attack the Block did that I really appreciate. So I'm just going to come right out and say it. This was great. This was a ton of fun. This was a fun, fun movie. It was a fun movie. And I know because I finished watching it 18 (laughs) minutes ago. (laughs) Because I I was eating Chinese at about 5 p.m. (laughs) in Chinatown and just waiting for the check and just going through my tweets and seeing your tweet saying recording <laughs> quit you haven't seen tonight with Jeff for and we've watched tag the block said well one of us has Travis now I'm rushing home because oh, you told me December you told me December and for some reason because I was so busy in November I didn't know we were in December yet <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. So it's December. Uh, it's December fifth now. It's um, super fresh. <laughs> so, but but talking about how uh, District Nine took such a despicable person because beginning of that movie, Vickis is terrible. He is an awful person. Attack the Block. I'm not. I'm not going to say there's any kind of a super direct correlation, but Attack the Block did something similar, where the characters of Moses and his little gang are. They're not good people at the beginning of the movie. The the movie opens with them mugging Sam, mugging Jodie Whittaker, mm-hmm. taking taking her money, taking the ring off of her finger. The, the ring is like clear, clearly the um this is this is meant to make them seem despicable. Yep. Uh and what I liked was that over the course of and it's a brisk hour and 28 minutes being yes. able to to have some character growth and at least see a little bit of what's going on. 
science fiction and horror are genres that do such a good job of being able to interweave kind of social commentary into stories. You know that as a as a writer. Um, and and this Never movie <laughs> in science fiction, I mean it, it it does it so well. What I liked was this movie was kind of it was very apparent without being. I never felt like it was super. It was never preachy to me. It it was, but in ways like in it never did something preachy without earning it first. The, yes, like, I guess there are be there are moments like there's moments where the, I mean they clearly lay it out about like the the inherent racism that you find in in London the UK in general <laughs> just the Western world, um, mm. but it gets to that point where you've lived with Moses and his gang long enough to realize. Yeah, these are just normal people that are trying to do with very little and being targeted for it. They they deserve it while not deserving it. Like it, it weaves in the nuances of why a gang like Moses' gang exists in that particular environment mm-hmm. very well for a, a dumb monster movie. Yeah, yeah. And and that's one of the things that like a rewatch I feel like I'm going to get a little bit more of that because I'm the first time through watching it. I'm paying so much attention to kind of just what's, what's occurring that I'm not kind of um, looking at any kind of subtext for it, but I I know that a lot of it is there. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, John Boyega, he is good in this. He really, yeah, it it really makes you realize, Oh, this is why they picked him to play. What was if, supposed to at the beginning be a major role in star wars before being shoved to third rate character yeah i have, I have opinions about what they <laughs> did to that character i i actually the more i think about it over the years the the more i'm kind of probably falling into a, a similar uh, thought that you are with with finn because finn started off with a lot of promise i am angry <laughs> just absolutely like i i try I, one of the reasons I don't follow Star Wars quite as much as I used to is because watching Star Wars angers me because of what they did with that character and with, what the message of that character could have been. Mm-hmm. Like, if you'll like, permit me two minutes to rant, they did in in the in episode eight a thing where they said, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna make Rain a nobody to show that anybody can be a Jedi." You had an entire character built for this mm-hmm. a stormtrooper with the force wielding a, a lightsaber you had that built in and deconstructed it just so you can move it to another character that already had its own message and cool shit going on absolute bullshit like yeah and i mean i could go on about the star the the sequel trilogy of star wars for a while with thoughts and things cuz i don't hate it but there are a lot of things that they did not do well in fact in a lot of ways for me it's very similar to the prequel trilogy uh in my mind where there's a lot of good stuff in there but there's also a lot of really poor decisions that got made in there and in the prequel trilogy it was nobody telling george lucas no and him just getting to kind of do what he wanted to um and in the sequel trilogy i feel like they were too beholden to a very loud subset of fans I, and didn't I want to take this, the risks. This is a slippery slope that you and I <laughs> could tobogon down if like if ever you want to do a let's be angry about Star Wars <laughs> special, have me on. 
I have opinions. You are I have, the first call I'll make for that. I once quieted a pub while yelling about Rogue One. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but yeah, when you watch this movie, you see why they wanted John Boyega. Because he is... Moses is a really cool, a very, a very intriguing character in this he's movie. He's a difficult character. He is. Because but he's not one note. No, at all. Like, you can't just get someone who does one thing and say, hey, that thing you do, do it well. Like, this isn't, like, what, Pierce, Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia, like, just stand there and try to be quiet. <laughs> yeah, no, like, he... can't, like, he, he, he needs to, like, have, like, the whole, like, severe demeanor and stuff and be very introspective, but once in a while have these moments of like warm humanity, but they can't like, they they need to have like that kind of subtle way of growing in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, he has to, he's, he's a hardened kid and he's got to keep that face on. But then there's times where he kind of lets that facade crack just a little bit, just enough. Yeah. And then, uh, and look, you, if anybody's listened to this show, they know there's no restraint on spoilers. We're giving everything away. So if you haven't seen the movie already, Oh, no, already, they, they win at the end. They beat, they beat the aliens. The aliens don't survive. <laughs> right. But the reveal at the end of the movie that he's 15 years old and he basically lives alone in that uh, building is... So here's the only... Like, this is one of the sticking points... Okay. From a technical point of view. Sure. You get that reveal, and normally to get a reveal like that, you need to sort of build up to it. And that is, I would need to watch the movie again because maybe I missed one of the beats, but there is only one beat that hints at that, where there should be at least two. Like, it should be one, two, three punch. Meanwhile, just once very early on, in that really cool scene where all the kids, they each go home. Mm-hmm to grab a weapon and get out. And the only thing we see about Moses is him walking into that apartment. Yeah. And later we see him outside. So it hints that uh, family life, probably not great. Probably something going on there, Mm -hmm. but there should be, there should be another beat between these two where you kind of get a hint of him being alone in that apartment or, like, I don't know, maybe, like, they're all calling relatives and, like, he f- looks at his phone and almost calls his uncle. Like, something yeah, is missing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's that rule of threes, right? We need we need A, B, yeah. and then C. And we got A, and we kind of skirted around B, and then we still went to C. I still think, in the end, for for the, what this movie was, it worked. Because it's still it's still a pretty powerful moment at the end where... Where he's like, yeah, I'm 15. And the the exchange is great because her reaction is just like, well, you look older than that. And thanks. And then you kind of leave it there. But like that's then that scene you're talking about where they all gear up was awesome. I loved that because they're so energetic. They're so hyped up to go do this. And then you're getting kind of really cool uh, just just insights into them. Like Pest goes into his, his apartment. And he immediately starts limping past his grandmother mm-hmm. and says, you know, I pulled, pulled a muscle playing football so, so that he good. can slide that belt or that, that bat into his pants and limp back out and have a reason but, for that. Like that's such a, that, look, look at it from horror movie rules. He's, this is also the foreshadowing with what happens to his leg. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. It is so good. Now, Joe and Cornish. They all have this 
thing. Yeah. Now, now Joe Cornish, who wrote and directed this movie, the uh, is involved and knows. Um, uh, name just went completely away. Edgar Wright. Um, okay. And you can see the Edgar Wright influence in this movie. Uh, there is a very there. You can see some of the Shaun of the Dead type influence in it. But Joe Cornish, knowing him, and Edgar Wright actually executive produced this. So mm. I have to feel like that at least he he got at least a little bit of like he gleaned something from the way. Because Edgar Wright is, in my opinion, one of the best writers at sort of setting up something that he pays off later. He does that so um, well in so many of his movies. I I think he does it. Man, like I don't. I promise I don't hate Edgar Wright. <laughs> I swear. Um, however, I feel that he he's good at setting it up in the sense that he will consistently set it up. Like he never uses something that wasn't set up. As if does he set it up in a particularly subtle and like uniquely intelligent way? I would say absolutely not. Um, the way he sets up most of his things, they could be flashcards. Sure. Like you, ne- you never get to the end of an Edgar Wright movie and go, "Oh my God, he set it up! I never saw that." You. Oh no, he signposts. He signposts everything. I, I'm with you. But on that. for his for the genre, he usually does. Like if you're looking at the, like his Cornetto trilogy, it works. Like mm-hmm. you're not like, you're not watching Shaun of the Dead because you're looking for those subtle uh, subtle uh, cinema uh, themes, if you will. No, but, but I think- this is where. Yeah, but I think I'm, something I'm like... I'm going to say I... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think something like like uh, Hot Fuzz, for instance, is a master class in we're going to set up jokes and pay them off later mm-hmm. because that's that whole script. That whole script is, is the setup for jokes that do get paid off. None of them are left hanging, and I like that. Mm-hmm. So, But, but you were going to... Maybe it's because I've been like studying comedy for way too long, Like, but I, I feel... I. As much as I feel like it's it's very good, like don't I'm not taking anywhere mm-hmm. anything away from Edgar White from doing this, but it's this this these are basic comedy rules. Sure, but I think that like, uh, lesser directors and writers don't always get that done. No, no, absolutely. Like, listen, like, there, there's a lot of really terrible comedy. Like, <laughs> Uh, Ed, Edgar Wright is 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 a maestro. While um while um what's his name. Um, dude keeps making movies with his friend. Adam Sandler is just like some kid with a recorder. Uh, like there, there's definitely a difference. But mm-hmm. all that being said, if you give me a choice, which one do you want to re- rewatch? Any of Edgar Wright's movies or Attack the Block? And I think I would re- rewatch Attack the Block, or maybe flip a coin because I do have a soft spot for Hot Hot Fuzz. Yeah, I mean Hot Fuzz is one of my five favorite movies I've ever seen, but. It is very good. It, it it really really is. But Edgar Wright also has this way of being able to direct and and shoot mundane things to look like action, and then actiony stuff just completely boring, and it works. So, but yeah. but it, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing uh, last night uh, in Soho because yes. I feel it's going to be very good. And people say it's a masterpiece, and I. I <laughs> I feel that I'm looking forward to watching it because it looks to be the least Edgar Wright movie Edgar Wright has done so far. It does, and I'm very curious. I, I sadly missed it in theaters. Um, it didn't have a very long run here, unfortunately. So, uh, But I'm definitely looking forward to that. 
and and like I was saying, though, you can see like the the fingerprints of Edgar Wright or the influence of him in Attack the Block. There is humor, but what I like is that it is at at its base, it is the sci-fi monster movie. It yeah. doesn't. It, it's not overly tongue in cheek. It's not overly like winking at the audience or or putting jokes in, like forcing them in where they don't fit. The jokes that they do use fit what's going on. They they flow with the story instead mm-hmm. of being there to break a tension that should not be broken. Which yes. is often the case. Like in, in horror comedy, one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of horror comedy in general and why Shaun of the Dead is I I, I like it, but I could leave take it or leave it most of the time is because you build up a certain tension and then Ha ha! Gotcha! It's Joe! It's like, no, thanks. I was kind of enjoying where the tension was going. And the tacky block never does that. Like, when there's humor, it's in, in the right position. Speaking of humor, those two kids. Oh, yeah. The two kids, so- and then the couple of scenes that would be between Bruce and uh, Nick Frost's character, Ron, where they would mm-hmm. be in the, in the apartment. Um, but the kids, those kids were brilliant. Was it prop, prop and mayhem? Prop, probs and mayhem. <laughs> and, yeah, props and mayhem. And the payoff is perfect. Like, oh, it's they, so it's they, so good. Their character arc is simple but beautiful. They want to get that this nickname. They build up. They're always always encountering conflict. All they want is their stupid nickname. Yep. Character wants something, is denied conflict. They go on an adventure, which they do, overcome an obstacle, which they do, and they come back to their normalcy, having grown and earned their nickname. It's it's just... They, they, they go through the hero's journey. It's beautiful. <laughs> Love and, it. You know, it very, they very easily could have been either just forgotten three quarters of the way through the movie, or like mm-hmm. not done, like it was done with a, with, with a earnestness that I just appreciated. I liked that they kept coming back to them just, just the right amount. And then their payoff mm-hmm. was perfect. Very well paced, very well timed. Like whenever, whenever we went back to him, went oh, okay. These guys, what are they up to? I heard that. I heard it wasn't water in the super soaker. Yes. <laughs> what could it be? Oh, that was so good. Uh, and and they have two of the best reactions in the entire movie when they when they react to the aliens, and then mm-hmm. coming down the stairs and around the corner, and there's the cops. Um, yes. The both of those were just brilliant. And it also, the, the other nice thing was that those two characters able to give us a tie back to the character of Biggs, who's been sort of stuck in a trash bin for most of the movie. Um, yes. And they gave him a way that he could get out of there. And I like that because that was one thing, as I was watching him, like, so is Biggs just not in the movie anymore? Like, we're just going to forget about him? Um, so like I was he, glad. He gets, his, he gets his one, two, three. Like, he gets two scenes where he's in the bin increasingly panicking calling people trying to like decide if he's going to go out and then third scene like the kids jumping in after they set fire to the monster and are <laughs> running from, from the cops it's just so good it was plus i like it, i did it's like one that of my favorite things in the movie yeah and i did like the beginning where they did set up and then pay off his jump across his like a little parkour jump was also nice <laughs> that one was almost too obvious it was definitely that but here's the thing they paid it off so quickly. Like it didn't become this last moment, like yes. third act thing. This is, they pay off in the second act so that like, all right, well, like we, we tease this, we're paying it off. 
moving on to something else. This character is going to do other things, which like, can we take a second to really, to, to, to really appreciate how many characters they make us enjoy in an hour and 28 minutes? Yeah, this is a, like we talk about most, but this is an ensemble cast mm -hmm. and a lot happens to a lot of them separately and it all weaves them together very well. Yeah, well, you've got the five gang members or members mm -hmm. of like you got Moses, Dennis, Jerome, Pest, Dennis. and Biggs. Um, so there's yeah, the five characters kids. there. You got the two kids. You've got two, two kids are kind of one character. Sure, you know, storytelling, speaking. Mm -hmm. um, but then got you got the, Sam. Um, so, mm -hmm. so you got Sam the nurse. You've got uh, Bruce the stoner. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and then Ron. Um, who Bruce and Ron sort of fit together. Bruce was the only one. Yeah, they're kind of uh, again the same character, uh, the same way as uh, what's his name, the the, the big honcho drug dealer. Um, uh oh, high hats. Yeah, high hats, and the other his other dude that gets killed. Like they're yeah, and just the same way, like the girls are kind of one character mm -hmm. because they, they they as a unit just serve the same storytelling fu function. But that is a lot of stuff. Still, that's a lot. That a lot of pieces. In an hour and twenty eight minute movie that is action oriented, there there are set pieces that they have to get through where you're not. You, it's not an hour and twenty eight minutes full of dialogue and and whatnot. It's there's a lot going it's, on. It's not a Mike Flanagan. Film. <laughs> exactly. No one no one sits down to say, aliens. Where do they come from? <laughs> I have this theory. That I've always thought like looking up at the sky on a Tuesday night, just thinking about my dead parents. Like there's none of that. Like there's not. Nope. There's no like fifteen minutes soliloquy about what someone thinks aliens are. No, none of that. And yet you care about these characters like Dennis. I part of it was they, they were smart in giving us some shorthands of things like Dennis has a dog and then Dennis's dog, oh. which that, that to me, uh, I didn't like. And that made me sad. I justice for Pogo. Damn it. Also, I, what dog would run towards that? That's the thing that was weird. <laughs> we've inbred these creatures so much. Fair. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I love when Dennis is on his little moped. Yes. Katana on his helmet. It's like, this is for Pogo. Oh, so, so good. good. But, but like, as soon as that happened, I was like, okay, so Dennis isn't making it to the end of the movie. Uh, I, I've, I've figured that one out. Like, I just, I don't know. I had that feeling. There was something about that. And so, even though it didn't, and again, it didn't happen right away, but then when it did, it still it still bummed me out because I liked his character and, and Fran's drama mm -hmm. was really good. He was another good performance. The kids, all five of those kids were excellent. They were Absolutely. very well cast and the, the dialogue and the writing for them felt so natural. It It's almost like when we first, like when we were first introduced to them as the, as a gang and they do these horrible things and they have kind of an opposite save the cat moment. Mm -hmm. Like when they find the alien and they chase it down just to murder it, that is like, yes, we know the aliens are the bad guy. We've seen the poster. We know what the trailer is, but that is still a cruel thing for them to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is, that is reverse save the cat. This is to tell us like, these are probably not great people. And yet at the same time, they're humanizing us when they're all talking on the phone to their families like saying yeah no no we just got peace and stuff like explaining away their lives and maybe that is our first beat of every like 
Maybe that is when they t- show us that Moses doesn't have a family because he's not calling anyone. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, it's light. It is mm, gossamer thin. Well, sure. And it's definitely not something that you're going to even pick up on when you're watching it because you, there's so much else going on that, that you wouldn't, that it's just not going to register right away. Yeah. Um, but that scene tells us like, all right, they did this horrible thing, but these are still kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is very important. The scene where they go get their weapons again, still kids. Yeah, I mean, so, he, and he, you know, he, uh, Dennis has Pogo with him because his dad told him to take the dog, and that's a great moment because exactly. he's like, "I'm going out. Take take Pogo with you." No, I, I'm going out, and he's like, "I'm not asking." And he's like, "He has to go back and get the dog." Like he's not. He's still a kid. Um, and for, for a moment, I thought this was gonna go kind of Goonies. I thought mm-hmm. like. Oh, these kids are not dying. Like and like they're gonna be carrying that little, you know, mascot around and the dog and it's gonna oh, be yeah. oh the kids the kids are gonna protect the apartment building and they're gonna have the dog and it's gonna be all like very cute and stuff. And then the dog dies and they go, Oh, all right, well <laughs> so, so it's that. Okay. Yeah, um, okay, this is it's this kind of movie. They're killing right. dogs now. Oh, that I mean, I I will never enjoy uh any scene that involves a dog dying, but that was a bummer. Um, but it did set up, you know, gave Dennis obviously a lot of motivation. Uh, the other one was like Jerome. A, a, oh, oh, go ahead. Poor Jerome. I was, I was going to say like, I have this feeling like if you're going to put a dog in your movie and have him survive in ridiculous ways, don't put the dog in the movie. If the dog is going to go through scenes that should kill a dog, kill the dog or don't put the dog. Like, no, I, I hate these miraculous things where like. Oh no! The plane crashed and everybody on dies, and then from the smoke, only the dog walks out. It's like I get it; you don't want to kill a dog in a movie, but why put one? No, no, and and I, I'm with you on that, uh, with the possible exception of Independence Day, because that movie is so ridiculous anyway. Yeah. No, no, I, the, nothing makes sense in that movie. Right. Period. But it doesn't matter. But I think, I think what <laughs> it is, I think what it is is like having just just having a pet and having his, his connection there like then the dog goes it's like oh no don't kill the dog because i knew as soon as i saw pogo in the back my first thought was like you like oh it's going to be a goonies type because we're kind of getting that feeling for it and then once once they saw the alien or you hear the scream and pogo jumps out i'm like oh no no like don't don't well, do it. don't do it to me and they did and when when Pogo jumps out, it can still be like they're all gonna run after Pogo, and they're gonna get to the edge of that play that crater thing, and they're gonna like their Pogo's there, and he stopped, and they join Pogo, and they see the <laughs> like it can still be. It's when you hear Pogo die that you go, yeah, all right, well that's that's a moment. Yeah. Um. So one of the things I thought was kind of cool about this, I was reading, is um, Cornish when he was casting for this wanted unknown so he went to a lot of schools in the area drama clubs and all that and put ads out but once he started getting uh he did multiple um casting calls in part uh according to this was a way to see who would come back multiple times and kind of have the discipline to show up um and then he let them do a lot of improv work and would start to work that stuff in and talk to them about uh, the ways that they would talk with their friends to work in the dialogue to make it feel more natural. And that worked between that and asking kids, what weapons would you grab for an alien apocalypse? So that everything, because everything they have makes perfect sense. 
that they like this kid <laughs> this kid's got a sword on his wall so he's gonna think to grab that this kid's got uh fireworks the where he grabs us he grabs a medium one yep nope. <laughs> big one but like the other kids grabbing fireworks because that's what he's got he's got all those fireworks sitting under his bed why they were under his bed and not out being lit off on guy fox night i'm not sure but you know um, but uh, I just, I really enjoyed the, and then there's the scene where they go to the girl's flat, the girl's apartment. Mm-hmm. And that again, all that dialogue just felt like a bunch of teenagers sitting around talking, um, which yeah. usually which movies don't get. Right. <laughs> Listen, I, my, my horror books that have the most success have main characters and are teenagers. And it is super difficult to... Not because I'm not going to pretend I get it right, but get it to be somewhat where someone will go, ah, that's fine. 40 year old man wrote this, but it's <laughs> acceptable. So to get it to a point where you feel like, oh yeah, that's, that's how I expect teens to talk in that area of um, East London. Cool. Okay. That's believable. Mm-hmm. That's feet. It is, and and it works because it again it helps you to kind of care about these characters because you're seeing them interact with each other as much as any uh, and and there's just something about like Pest Pest could very easily have been a super super annoying character and while he he has that he has those leanings he's not because he's again he's a he's just a kid who's doing what he has to do to kind of survive like, but also yeah. <coughs> sorry. Well, even just the way he's um, keeps being harassy a little bit towards Sam, yes, is always it always kind of hits the wall just before it's annoying. Like you know, all right, like yeah, he's being that kid, but never enough that you say, "When is an alien going to bite him in half?" Because I right. really want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then you had like I love the moment with Jerome where. They're they're all saying, oh, the alien's over there. And he's like, you can't see it. And Dennis even says, don't you have your contacts in? So he just put his glasses on. And, like, he doesn't wear his glasses because it's not the right look when you're out, you know. Not cool. Yeah. I know. So, but then he keeps them on from the rest of the movie. That was four. Yeah. Because it's important to see well in an it alien is. invasion. It is. I also, uh, I just, the the... The actors in this were were fun. Like Jeff Treadaway um, as Bruce, who sort of was a li- semi autobiographical for Joe Cornish. Like he was kind of basing that character on himself in his twenties, just being kind of a wastoid stoner. He's fun. He's got a, f- a couple of fun moments in it. I love the the cut back to him and Nick Frost just sitting on the couch, and there's like fifteen seconds of silence, and then they both exhale at the same time. Um, that one made me laugh. Uh, but I, he's got a couple of great lines towards the end of the movie because he's been smoking for the entirety of the runtime. So as all this shit and is going a, down, there's he's a like, beautiful progression <laughs> yeah. to it. Like he starts off, eh, kind of stone, and at the fr- at the end, he is fried. <laughs> like when he's when he's um when he's scanning Sam with the black light, yep. like, just his face. <laughs> and when he's asked like when when he, he his dialogue with her is just like <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, great too. where he says, you know, I would go myself if I weren't so profoundly stoned. <laughs> like he's and and 
two, like there's that quick shot of him watching the nature documentary earlier. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, they oh, bring that back. The moment- but but the thing that's about it was is standard horror movie. It thing. is standard horror movie thing, but that's also standard like I'm high off my ass and oh, this was that thing I remember from like an hour ago. Maybe mm. that makes sense here and I'm going to latch onto that, which is why he just keeps going with it. He doesn't just say, but, "Oh, maybe it's pheromones." He just keeps keeps running with it. I've known people the, like as, that. As the gang were walking with the alien body the first time, they mention him watching. Oh, he watches all this National Geographic, um, na- nature documentary bullshit, blah, blah, blah. Like, they talk about him. Mm-hmm. So later on, when you see him watching that, it's like, all right, he's doing the thing. And then, like, there's, they talk about the moth using the pheromones. You go, all right, that's the science, the, that's the science fiction thread that's going to, you know, save everyone at the end, of course. Um, well, but the, the only question, yeah, I think the, the reason that it works for me though, is the character that makes that connection isn't who they're talking about at the beginning. So when they're, when they're walking with the alien, they're talking about Nick Frost's character, always watching nature documentaries. Mm-hmm. So now Bruce is just happens to be there while he's waiting to buy his weed when he's, yeah. and he just, he's stoned. So he just locks into this show. Um, so I, I did like that. Which is, you're right. It is a, is a, standard stoner movie (laughs) the only thing they didn't get right about the stoner thing is that no one at any point is even attempting to get some munchies that's true or water i'm wondering though if maybe that was like the adrenaline of everything going on Uh, could be and i mean like the gang themselves only oh wait no they did get it right because i'm pretty sure uh brewer his name is Um, brewis yeah that character he is coming back with a a grocery bag, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, when he's getting back to his car, so I'm maybe I don't know, maybe that's it. Could be, could be. I also I don't think that, I don't think the plot hangs on that. No, no, not at all. Um, and uh, the character of Hi Hats is in any type of monster movie like this. There's always kind of that secondary antagonist, and it's usually mm-hmm. a human character. And in this case. It's high hats. He's the drug dealer. He's the one that has that kind of runs everything and, and runs the block, um, which, you know, is pretty standard. But what I liked was they made a concerted effort that he would be the only character in the movie using a gun. And that these for for as terrible uh, stuff as these kids do mugging people, you know, there's the whole thing where like, you know, oh, the blade was just there to move things along. He was just as scared as you were like that line. Um, mm-hmm. And having hi-hats be the one to use a gun repeatedly and i just i I, again it's it's not he gets gets the most gruesome death he does too uh just a pile of those things on him um i his face before killing him mm -hmm. speaking of those things damn did i like the creature design as simple as it was it's so good and very friendly on the budget yes such good way of not um oh um i'm before i forget because we mentioned the star wars connection earlier sure and it is because here's the thing did you did you notice the line by moses and this is before star wars episode seven eight nine were even written where he says i'm gonna finish what i'm what i started yes in a very dramatic moment Mm -hmm. like (laughs) curious (laughs) I just thought that was um, yes. I definitely uh, in... <laughs> foreshadowing, sort of. 
Um, but yeah, so yes, the creature design was totally budget friendly, but it also works perfectly for what they're doing because one unique. It's unique. It's not something. It it is not something we've seen before. We get no backstory, no information on them at all, which I have no problem with. I don't want. I, I don't. I don't want to know. No, better. I don't like explain stuff in the sequel if you make it. In the first movie, just play around with what the creature is and what it does, and let us learn about it, not through you know, inserted scientists going, mm, I suppose the glowing teeth are probably some kind of <laughs> crawling card. Like, I don't want nothing of that. Like, Alien was beautiful because the life cycle of the xenomorph is something that is shown, not told. Yes. When yep. you start having have someone start explaining stuff, like by the time they explain it in the alien and aliens, like we've seen it ourselves, we're good. Mm -hmm. And same thing, like for this crew, for, for, for in, in, in this movie, like I don't want an explanation why they have glowing teeth, why they're perfectly like black in, 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 in color. Like yeah. I just want, just let me live what this creature is and live with the terror. Like I want to identify with the characters, not. I don't want to be the character watching a nature documentary about those creatures. Right. And not only that, but the whole story takes place in such a small area with a small group of people. And as an audience, we know what they know. And mm -hmm. that's another part of it that I just love because I don't need to know beyond what these characters know for this story. Again, if you want to do that, something in a sequel, which by the way, they are not working on. Um, oh. Joe Cornish and, and, uh, and, John Boyega announced it uh, earlier this year, right around the 10th anniversary of the movie, that they are starting to work on a sequel. We'll see what happens with that. I, whether, whether or not it, it, it occurs isn't going to take away from this movie for me. It, as far as I'm concerned, it can stay as a single movie, and I'm fine with that. Um, I'm comfortable with it. Um, if they make a sequel and John Boyega is involved, I am in like a... Uh, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm in like a 2000 teenage girl wanting to watch Justin Bieber. Like I'm there you go. like, I'm not going to say I have a crush on John Boyega, but I absolutely fucking do. <laughs> so I will watch whatever he does. Um, yeah. But like, like you say, like I don't think it needs it. If they do something clever and fun with it and not just rehash the thing, mm -hmm. then all the, and just, uh, from... so freaking burned by sequel recent sequels. Oh, sure. They're just boring. Well, I will say that from some interviews that I, I watched with Joe Cornish, he seems like somebody who, if he was going to do a sequel to this movie, because he talked about when he wanted when he was making this, one of mm -hmm. his inspirations was big-time directors when they first got started, because this was his directorial debut. This was his first feature film. And he talked about kind of... Still well-directed. Yeah. And, and he talked about uh, big directors doing movies early on like Steven uh, Spielberg with Duel or Ridley Scott's The Duelist or The Terminator and how they would try they were they were making a big movie but they didn't have the resources to make the big movie so they did what they could and that was what he was doing here and it worked and that again comes to that kind of creature design and having a lot of practical effects where a very simple design of your alien it's basically just a furry suit with glowing teeth but then having them on set and then just digitally augmenting them to make them look darker and, and that kind of Vanta black, that no light bouncing off of them thing. 
works so well. Black 3.0. Let's not talk about Anish Kapoor's bullshit. All right, fair. Black we 3.0. We have class here. Um, and Fuck Anish Kapoor. <laughs> Sorry, go one on. Of, one of my favorite shots in the entirety of the movie, should be very little surprise if you've seen it, is the slow motion running down the hallway at the end. Because it's just such a cool looking shot. You got Boyega's running, and there's just like half a dozen of those things coming behind him. And the way that they they moved, they're the all they on. just around corners. Yeah, they they look. Even though you only see maybe three or four of them at a time, they look like a swarm just flooding after him. And it's that blackness of like because Thank they're you. because they're so dark and no light comes off of them, and the only thing you get is either an, a shape or the glowing teeth when there's multiple of them in a spot. It just looks like like some kind of eldritch horror with glowing teeth. It it's is. just a it form. Is. It's so oh, it's, it's very so effective. Good. Very, very I, effective. As a rule, I tend to not... like I my, The range I usually have for scenes where a character is looking badass and he's just about to go fight the monsters and like, he's got the light and like the slow reveal of what his suit is at the end, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like usually that goes from either boring me to annoying me. And there's really nothing beyond these two endpoints. But for this one, there's something about the implied risk and sacrifice that he's doing that makes that scene, that shot work. Mm -hmm. Like John Boyega, he's got a sword. He's trapped the alien female on his back. And he's just like, because he, it doesn't look like his hunched position with like the muscles and everything. It doesn't look like he's trying to be impressive or like just like, oh, manly. Like, it looks as if like this is a man who is on the verge of being defeated and it, it sells. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a great kind of ending for him as long as you can suspend your disbelief and realize that realistically he wouldn't have survived the explosion because the shockwave alone would have killed him the, with being that close to it the shrapnel would have fucking torn his pieces just <laughs> but but, but suspend your thing. disbelief there and you're fine like <laughs> here's the thing like there's I would have been okay with them killing him. Like it's it's like it's a, it would have been good good ending. Like you see the explosion, his cap floating to the floor, whatever. Like mm -hmm. yeah, like that. I would have been fine with that. The fact that he survives is, like you say, suspend your disbelief. But the fact that he survived does gives us does give us that final scene where everybody's screaming Moses, 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 and and Tess just tells him like, dude, this is for you, and mm -hmm. he actually smile from him. Like he's probably going to jail. Like this, this like the next few years of Moses's life are not great. No, he does have that moment where, for probably the first time in his life, according to what we've been led to understand of what his life is, he is not treated by everyone around him except his four buddies like dirt. Yeah. No, and and I think. They had to have him survive that ending and have him being hauled off by the cops because of sort of what they had set up earlier in the movie and that the social commentary angle of things. Like, there was no way he was going to be, you know, praised as a hero. Um, but I also think that, that having that end moment was great because you're seeing the community rally around him too, which is really cool. Yeah. Because, yeah, that, that moment when he looks back and he sees Biggs 
and he kind of smiles because he sees his friend is okay. So he knows at least a couple of his Genuine. friends are all right. Mm-hmm. Everything, like everything's going to shit, and he turns around, sees his friends, like, oh good, oh good, like yep. um, at least, at least that. Like, I mean, fuck Jerome and the Dennis, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I honestly, I like the the way that they ended this. And you're right, the next few years of his life aren't going to be good, and that's where, I think, as long as. Cornish and John Boyega are are into this idea of continuing this story could get interesting because we could see sort of what goes on beyond this. Um, But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hope for the best and expect something else. Go ahead. The sequel is like Moses does end up in jail because you know, the British justice system is not great towards people like him. Right. Um, and he's like getting to the end of his sentence. Like it's been years later, but more of the aliens show up, but they coincidentally, because science fiction, they fall on the, uh, the, the, the prison he's in. So attack the block to attack the cell block. Oh, there you go. You've made the elevator pitch. <laughs> and I'm asked to leave the room unless <laughs> or they will call security. But I, I'm curious where they could go with that. I like the idea, though. Keep it small. Don't expand. Sequels always have to go bigger, right? That's sort of... I mean, they, they don't have to, but they they do. They do, and they shouldn't. They should go they different. They shouldn't, yes. Where Aliens worked as a sequel, and I always go back, is that they tweaked the genre. Mm-hmm. Alien is a haunted house in space... It is pure horror. Aliens is a horror action. Yep. As long as, like, you keep the same building pieces, like, you keep the same Lego set, but instead of building one thing, you build another thing. But you don't add another Lego set that's 10,000 new pieces. Right. Because someone needs to keep track of these pieces, and usually, I hate to say it, most directors, not great at it. Most screenwriters, terrible at it. So uh, another one that I like for uh, sequels that it didn't change the genre necessarily, but um, The Fugitive had a sequel. I don't know if you are aware of that. Uh, A lot of people forget that. The Fugitive had a sequel. It was called U.S. Marshals. And so what they did was they made the sequel following Sam Jerome and his team of marshals where they have Mm -hmm. to go on a manhunt again for somebody. So it has a lot of similar story beats. It's It's not great in the terms of like it's it's somewhat a rehash of what they did in the fugitive but it didn't try to it, it the expansion of it was just instead of everything around chicago it kind of went chicago to new york it gave it one more location but it was the same um kind of lane or same cardinal direction of a movie and that's a decent sequel to go to cuz it doesn't try to make it too much more it added like one extra character, which happened to be played by Robert Robert Downey Jr. at the time. But that's another case of a sequel that kind of does the sequel thing right, which is either transform it like Alien did uh, with Aliens. That's a, a great one because that is one of the better sequels out there, um, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or, or give us something like that where it's like, okay, The Fugitive really worked. And we like – so instead of doing another we, – we do another Fugitive, but we follow the team of people that were hunting him down and sort of turn the focus onto them, it sort of becomes... Yeah, and and it worked, in my opinion. I think that it's... 
it that movie's a lot better than than you would think, but so few people know because it wasn't marketed as a sequel to The Fugitive, and it didn't really play on that. Plus, it was like five years later, so it kind of had a little bit of a time gap to it. It was mid nineties, but U.S. Marshals is really fun. If you get a chance to watch it, I recommend it. Um, I have Fugitive. Um, I don't know why it doesn't. Like, it's it's not one of those movies that really stuck with me. I can oddly. Well, I mean, I can see that. Um, I I will be curious to see what happens with an Attack the Block sequel. But man, is this movie just fun? Like it is, and it's again hour and twenty eight minutes, so it's not. Uh, it's paced so well. There's never a moment I don't I don't get that moment in sort of you know the hour mark where it feels like it's dragging and like why is this scene here? I don't really feel that. No, it's it's lean and efficient. Like here's the thing, right? It's not a movie that. In general, for all like as a whole, like I'm not gonna start the Attack the Block fan club. It's I'm not I'm not getting all the action figures. I'm not <laughs> getting the T-shirts. Like, it's a movie I really enjoyed. I'm mm-hmm. happy I it delivered exactly what I expected it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is like it is a movie that does it does all the right things at the right moment perfectly. But also, it doesn't reinvent much. No. No, it that that is very true, um, but it doesn't have to either. I don't. No, it's. But that's the thing, like, because it, it's aiming for enjoyable, not revolutionary. Yes. And I think it by choosing to do that, it manages to deliver a, a higher quality offering than if they did try to reinvent the genre, like everybody's always claiming to do. Yeah, well, and and knowing that the director kind of went into it thinking along the lines of like. I'm, you know, Steven Spielberg in Duel, right? Where you, he's thinking, okay, I want this. I've got this grand idea, but let's distill it down. What can I make for what I have the resources to do? And I think he nails that. I think he does a really good job of that. Don't try to reinvent the wheel, especially with your first movie. Do something that's going to be good that you can build off of, I think, too, while getting to do some new or, or interesting things like a different creature design. And play around with that. So, yeah, it's this is worth watching. It it's it's definitely fun. I it has like a user score. uh, I see right around like the sixty five to seventy percent range. I think it's a little low for what I would do. I would I would definitely score it higher than that. But score it way higher than that because because that's the thing. Like although I like it's it sounds like I'm knocking it by saying like it doesn't reinvent the wheel and it doesn't like bring necessarily all that new stuff to the table but also it doesn't it doesn't have any missteps right like i mentioned thing about maybe missing a beat for that for 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 that 15 year old reveal but that's not like it's not a key reveal that the plot depends on it still delivers it well because the dialogue is so natural that when it does come up it's and with the images like the spider-man um comforter and all that like it's still hits well mm-hmm. even though it's mid-heavy. so like even that little knock but everything else like the acting is phenomenal across the board um the effects are i mean they're good they're perfect like there's there's no place where i go oh this is cheesy like whenever they couldn't get a good gore effect they just like cut away from it and let our imagination less run loose like it doesn't have like it's not perfect but it doesn't have any glaring flaws either right and that is a good way to put it like so many movies have cracks all over the place that this movie doesn't 
And and keep in mind that John Boyega, Franz Drama is Dennis, um, uh, Alex, uh, I can't remember his last name, Pest. This, these are their, uh, all, all those kids. It's their first film. A couple of them had done maybe an episode of a TV show prior to that. But this was like their feature film debuts for all of them. And I think all of the, the girls that were in the apartment, it's early-ish in Jodie Whittaker's career. And they're all so good in it. I mean, your veterans were Nick Frost, who's barely in the movie and gets to play Nick Frost. So, you know. As Nick Frost does. Mm-hmm. Which I think is unfortunate. I, I strongly believe Nick Frost has more acting chops than he's ever given the chance to to use. I think so. I, I, I do think so because you see you see bits and pieces of it. You see some of that in moments in Shaun of the Dead or moments in uh, Hot Fuzz, Hot Fuzz especially. I, I feel that Nick Frost is typecast as himself. Mm-hmm. And I feel that's unfortunate. <laughs> in some ways, although I do think he does... He's good at playing different versions of the man-child. So, like, because, I mean, honestly, even though it's Nick Frost in both, say, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, he's very different versions of that character in those two. One is, doesn't, isn't grown up, isn't an adult because he doesn't want to be, and the other one isn't an adult because he hasn't really been allowed to be. So he's sort of a man-child in that thing and then he escapes into his his action movies but then you look at him in, in the world's end and he's a he's a slightly different character um especially at the beginning i i think what bothers me is because the character he's typecast in is a caricature of like it's oh it's it's the big overweight dumpy dude that's like you said a man child like like of course we can't give him anything else as a role because why would we do that to a man who looks like that? I I hate that kind of. I I'm with you on cast. that. I'm with you Espe- on that. Especially when you have someone that, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he doesn't have that potential, but he kind of seems like he does. But he's not allowed to use it because why would we let a man who looks like Nick Frost do more than play Nick Frost? So I. I mm. And some of it may just be that he enjoys doing that, too. It's hard to say. I mean, not everybody is going to be Dave Bautista who actively wants to try and play against type, right? I mean, we talked about Mm -hmm. that quite a bit last time you were on when we talked Blade Runner 2049 uh, and how good Big Dave was in that. He's... I'm honestly... I know he's probably having a blast doing uh, Drax the Destroyer, but James Gunn is... He's basically misusing and a phenomenal asset and just go, I'm going to make him do jokes about thinking he's invisible and that's going to be great. No, it's not great. Like it's, it's a very one note and you're wasting Dave Batista. Some of it, you're somehow putting Chris Pratt as your hero. Weird. <laughs> I mean, some of it's that some of it is Batista coming up with some of his own jokes too. So, but, I mean, what else is he going to do? Like, he's, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but Imagine being really good at something and being asked to be on set all day long using maybe 10% of that. I mm-hmm. also come up with dumb jokes to pass the time because otherwise my brain isn't challenged enough. Sure. And I mean, I've, I've read interviews where he's said repeatedly he doesn't want to continue to just do action movies and he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be a, a, an actor in Hollywood like The Rock 
or or some other wrestlers turned actors. He wants to really act. Um, and I think Nick Frost has that in him if he wants to do it because I, think I, he I, I agree with you. In him, but not if he wants to do it, if someone will let him. And I don't think they will. Also true. Because Nick Frost is in Nick Frost's body. Which is terrible and shouldn't matter at all. No, it shouldn't. It absolutely shouldn't. But it does because entertainment. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I, I'm, I understand. Um, yeah, definitely. If you can get a chance, if you haven't watched Attack the Block yet, watch the movie. It's fun. It's just fun. Uh, there's no other way I can really put it. Now, there is a little bit of gore to it. Um, so if you're not a gore fan, it's not much. And it's, and it's, uh, it, it's brief for the most part. But I know some people that can't really do gore at all. Um, I would put this fairly, overall fairly mild. There's more jump scares, I think. More like loud, you know, smash at the camera type moments or through, you know, something crashing through a window type thing than there is real gore gore. Except for... uh, Like some of the loud noises. Bella didn't either. My dog did not like the the alien screech noise. Mm. She... she, noise very reminiscent of aliens yes good noise but yeah she was not a fan of that she was sitting up behind me as i was watching the movie i'm like all right all right i'll I'll put my headphones on um but yeah this is a fun movie i'm glad that you enjoyed it and and you brought this uh the idea for this one so thank you for that too because i finally got to watch the movie uh after a few years of like him hawing around or forget you know thinking about it and then forgetting for six months at a time or more so thank you I wanted to. I've been wanting to see this movie ever since I learned. Well, when when it first came out, I wanted to see it. Then when I eventually did learn that um, Boyega was in it, I wanted to see it even more, for completely platonic reasons. And um, so then we're talking about doing another episode. I said, "Oh, here's my chance." And then I forgot the episode was today, <laughs> but I did see the movie, the you, whole thing. You did so all the credits. <laughs> to plug in my stuff also and i forgot to mention this earlier and i want to before uh before i forget is the music is awesome throughout the whole so damn good. movie at, at the beginning it's kind of a little cheesy-ish a bit and like it, it it's not like the first few notes the first scene where you see starts gave like i wasn't convinced and then when it starts really getting into it like when we start meeting characters that's I'm on board with the music entirely. Well, because the opening, it opens with that star, the star field and the shooting star. And it's got that, that felt very much like the opening to predator or the opening to the thing to me. Um, And, and the music kind of felt the same thing. And I'm thinking, okay, but then we get down to, to ground level and the music fits that feeling so much. And it's got such an energy to it. The music helps the pacing i think in this it keeps it, it keeps the energy level up uh through everything yeah. and and i mean the music at the beginning is like it's not good music but it's good for what it does because it basically tells you here's a star field here's mm-hmm. a shooting star sci-fi music you know what you're in for yep and now some girl getting mugged <laughs> so yeah, I, I had to mention that. The music was good. I also noticed that the music supervisor for this was Nick Angel, uh, who happened to be the music supervisor oh, for Hot Fuzz. So, um, 
and and yeah, like it's just just good stuff throughout the whole the whole movie. So definitely definitely watch this. JF, thank you so much for being on this week. This was fun. I'm glad that you watched the movie right before we started. Um man, I'm almost dis- like I saw you whining towards the end. It's like, but I'm not done. I can talk about this more. But you're right. Like this it's been it's been an hour. Uh, but no, I'm I'm glad you had me on. I always have a lot of fun dissecting movies too much. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, we could go for another hour or two, I'm sure. I have no this doubt about that. Sure. This is the only place where I can do this and people don't <laughs> tell me to go home or shut up. <laughs> well, or what tell we... me, Wendy's, sir. <laughs> sir, this is an Arby's. Uh, well, yeah. you know, I mean, we just need to do this more off air as well. Just find movies that we've both already watched and dissect them. I'm fine with that. I can do that all day. Why waste content, though? Well... Maybe we'll just have to start a different what show. We need Who knows? To do is when you do a painting stream, we should do it together while bitching about a movie. I like that idea. That could work. Right. This this is a good idea. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna make sure that I don't forget that because I do, I also need to get back into the painting streams. You do. I am angry that you're not doing. <laughs> Is while you're doing painting streams, I paint because otherwise I feel like I'm not doing my part. <laughs> Well, well, we'll uh, I'll I'll get back on that uh, shortly then, just for you, just for your benefit oh. alone. <laughs> but but honestly, thank you so much for being on. This was a great choice for a movie. We'll do this again uh, sometime in the near future. You're always welcome back. Um, so yeah, this this was a ton of fun. Thank you uh, for being. Oh no, on. thank you. Um, always a good. Yeah, and if you wanna if you wanna hang out in our chat room. Uh, it's pretty active tonight. Uh, Sirnex is in there. Wicked Kitten, Danny Ora. I saw Ace earlier. Um, Phil Rude. And uh, hang out. Jake. And yeah, uh, Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I record live um, at twitch.tv slash Travis. Usually I let my guests know a day or two ahead of time to make sure everything's good. I didn't do that this week, so it's partially my fault for not reminding you that it's December. Yeah. Um, you should be- I should use a calendar like person. <laughs> Maybe not a bad idea either. Um, now next week uh, I have an interesting movie to talk about. I'm going to have on Dice Tomato, and he and I are going to talk about his first time watching Memento. <laughs> All right, are you gonna are you gonna tape the uh, the episode in order? Uh, we'll see. I might do it in reverse. Well, who knows? Um, but yeah, he's never seen, he had never seen Memento before. So I, I like talking about, uh, Nolan movies in general for a multitude of reasons, but that one in particular is going to be an interesting conversation. So you want to come back and check that out. Um, and then, uh, in two weeks I have David Luzader coming on. He has never seen, and I'm, I'm floored that this has happened. He's never seen It's a Wonderful Life. And I don't know how... Even by accident, you don't see that movie at some point in like 35 years. So I've seen, I haven't seen the whole thing, but it looks boring. But we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks as well. Um, if you enjoy this show, it does come out as a podcast on Wednesdays at tvstravis.com. You can get it anywhere you get podcasts, uh, including now Spotify. Um, if you do like the show and want to leave a rating and or review, that's super helpful. So uh, I appreciate that as well. Um, and uh, we are 143 weeks in a row of doing this show, and I apparently am afraid to stop now. So, strap in. It's gonna. We're gonna see how long we can keep this streak going. Um, I mean, it's just science, right? So you've been doing this for this long. The entire time, your heart's been beating. 
it stands to fear that if you stop one, the other one might start. Well, that's my worry is that I'm a podcasting shark, right? And if I stop, mm, yeah. I die. So uh, I have to reset the counter every seven days is really what it is. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so next week is Memento. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, but once again, JF Dubow, thank you. Where can people find uh, whatever you're working on? I know you've got uh, projects you're doing. Okay three plugs um first of all i discovered today that for 30 dollars you can go to a lint store and buy a hundred lint balls oh it is, dear it is a lot that is a lot i'm so happy um and you get to pick the flavors there's a oh, lot of orange that's there. even better that is um, even better the other thing is I have a book out. I have more than a book out. So um, my my new book is called Song of the Sandman. It's a sequel to A God in the Shed. It's uh, a cult and uh, people dying. So if you like horror and yeah, that's it. So if you like horror, you'll like that. But uh, if, if, if you have never read A God in the Shed, the uh, the first book, this one you need to read it if you want to understand the second book someone gave me a review saying oh no i've only read the second book in stands alone and they are wrong <laughs> i'm glad they enjoyed it but they are mistaken and my third plug is maybe the most important uh you guys should totally be listening to uh my podcast aquilo for which i write the story it is a cozy horror story set on the border between the united states and canada it is the story of Miriam Defour, who is a, um, a a young woman who inherits a bakery, a cafe, in the mysterious, very Twin Peaks-esque town of Aquilo, uh, where a lot of weird stuff happens. And she discovers once there that she is a descendant of a long line of kitchen witches. We call it cozy horror because it is comfortable yet scary. Mm-hmm. It's very, That's very it. good. You yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at JFDubo or just go to JFDubo.com and you know figure it out. You guys are on the internet. You're not children. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, definitely check those out, the books, both of them. And Aquilo is fantastic. Uh, the writing is great. Amy does such a wonderful job performing it. I forgot to plug my narrator, Amy, who is <laughs> like my writing is good. She takes it and just yanks it up to awesome. Well, she's good at that. She is very good at that. So definitely check that out, aquilo.com, uh, to find that show. So uh, once again, tvstravis.com to find this show. Uh, I also do one called Let's Watch Highlander, where we are wrapping up season three of Highlander the series. Uh, myself and Audie Norman uh, like to talk about that one. And that is uh, coming up in a couple of days. Um, we have another episode of that. So until then, um, for myself and JF, uh, we like to say to enjoy your movies. Hi yeah enjoy your movies <laughs> and uh be just be good to each other okay this is this has been wait you haven't seen
Listen, even if it is an alien invasion, they're four foot high, they're blind, and they got kicked to death by a group of kids. <laughs> we got nothing to worry about. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>